Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today I'm joined by Nick Ray. Many of us followed Nick on his 365-day life afloat journey around Scotland. We've had several guests, most recently Katie Carr, and many of you have also sent emails asking to hear from Nick, so it was a pleasure to finally connect with him for this episode. For Nick, this trip was a quest to find hope and joy by fully immersing himself in the experience, and he did just that. We have a great chat about his motivation, his personal struggles with mental illness, and how paddling has helped him, and of course, the trip itself. Before we get to our chat with Nick, James and Simon at OnlineSeaKayaking.com continue to produce great content and help you evolve as a paddler and as a coach. You'll find everything from basic strokes and safety to paddling in tides, surfing, coaching, documentaries, it's all in one place. So if you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, here's your opportunity to get started. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com, use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. And with that, enjoy today's episode with Nick Ray. Welcome, Nick. Thank you for joining Paddling the Blue. Hi, John. Thank you very, very much. I'm uh, hugely honored to be here. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. So many guests likely know you from your well-publicized Scotland 365 expedition, but this was not your first time around Scotland. So tell us a little bit about your uh, your 2015 journey around Scotland and, uh, and, and that trip, and then we'll learn a little bit about you as well. Yeah, 2015, I paddled from Kipford on the Solway Firth. I paddled to every lifeboat station, RNLI lifeboat station, on the Scottish coastline. So that included the Outer Hebrides and some of the islands in the Inner Hebrides and uh, the, the Orkney Islands and the Shetland Islands. And, of course, all the lifeboat stations on mainland Scotland. Basically paddled to, I think, 47 lifeboat stations at the time. And it was a trip of four months. And I think the total mileage was around 1,850 miles. And uh, that was my first ever really big sea kayaking journey on my own. So um, it was a huge success, incredible experience. I met some incredible people, particularly the lifeboat crews, you know, selfless lifesavers in their own right. And of course, got to see incredible seascapes and landscapes of Scotland, uh, paddled through some fascinating seas and wonderful wildlife encounters. Yeah, everything that Scotland had to offer in terms of weather and scenery and it all happened that that trip and to do more. <laughs> so that was your first big trip, as you'd mentioned. Um, what was the inspiration for that trip? Uh, the inspiration was I'd always wanted to emulate Brian Wilson's journey around Scotland you know it was him it was reading his book Blazing Paddles in the mid-1990s which saw me take up sea kayaking I'd always wanted to paddle around Scotland in, in a similar manner really I turned 50 and I thought I'd wanted a, a big adventure in my life and I sort of hit on the idea of visiting the individual lifeboat stations in Scotland as a reason for undertaking a big journey and it all came together and uh, that's how it sort of emerged I suppose well, that sounds like a, fan, a fantastic trip. So you mentioned wanting to emulate Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson was actually a guest for us on, uh, on episode 93. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of paddling with him for a day on this last trip I've just done. So absolutely amazing. So tell us about the visits to the Outer Hebrides and Orkney and, and Shetland. How did you make the crossing? Uh, the Hebrides, I paddled uh, from Skye 
across the Minch, southernmost inhabited island in the Hebridean chain, and then I made my way up from Barra, up the east coast of the Hebrides, to uh, Leverborough in the Sound of Harris, and then up to Stornoway, and then back down from there to the Chantiles, and then back from the Chantiles across, back across to the Isle of Skye. Uh, by the time I reached the Pentland Firth, I was running out of time, and the weather was against me, so I, I jumped on the foot passenger ferry from John O'Groats to uh, South Ronaldsay in Orkney, and then I paddled from there around the Orkney Islands to the three lifeboat stations in the Orkney Islands. And again, uh, I had hoped to paddle from the Orkney Islands across to Shetland. It was a grand ambition of mine. But to that, I had to knock that one on the head again because of the, the, the weather and, and time constraints. So I caught the ferry from uh, Kirkwall up to Lowick in, in, the, in the Shetland Islands. And then I paddled around mainland Shetland, visiting the two lifeboat stations there, and then returned to Orkney by ferry and paddled from there down to South Ronaldsay in the back on a foot passenger ferry across the Pentland Firth and then made my way down the east coast from there. So uh, while I did visit Orkney and Shetland, I didn't actually arrive on the islands by kayak. Well, either way, when you arrived with a kayak and you paddled, uh, paddled those areas and you visited all the life- lifeboat stations, and uh, what a great experience. And now you also raised some money during that trip, is that right? Yeah, I was raising money for the Lifeboat Institute yeah, I raised about £5,000. It wasn't a huge amount in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, it was good to, good to raise that money. But I also raised the profile of the organization as well. So, you know, I think um, that's always helpful as well. And I know they certainly appreciate that, and, uh, and the, the world appreciates their service as well. So adventure was part of your upbringing. Okay. So tell us how adventure impacted your life from the start. Well, I grew up in a landlocked country. <laughs> I grew up in Africa in what is now Zimbabwe, of course. I lived there till I was 15, and then we moved across to the UK uh, in the late 1980s. I think because of my adventurous upbringing, I mean, we lived in the bush, and my dad would take me out into the bush, and we'd go camping, and, you know, in a way, I lived a, a feral childhood, really, sort of very wild childhood. Uh, so when we arrived in the UK, I, I kind of continued to live as, as wildly as I could. And um, when I left school, became an Outward Bound instructor. And I never looked back, you know, just uh, it's always been my life to work in the outdoors and particularly, you know, around facilitating personal awareness and growth through outdoor experiences. Now I find myself enjoying my own <laughs> growthful experiences through my, my kayaking expeditions. So, uh, yeah, it's always, it's just been part of my life, really, uh, having a deep connection to the outdoors and, and just loving being wild, uh, as I suppose, feral, you know, <laughs> even as a, as a 60-year-old now, I'm, I consider myself to be uh, wild at heart. So tell us about your experience with Outward Bound. Uh, where did that take you? Well, Outward Bound, a uh, fantastic organization. I started off at Abidavi in, in mid-Wales, which is the birthplace of Outward Bound, uh, that's where the, the the movement began in 1941, so the original Outward School is still there, um, that's where I cut my teeth. Uh, at the time I had very few skills in the outdoors, so that's where I learned to sail and I learned to kayak and rock climb and lead people in the mountains, so it was a, a really formative time for me, it was an incredible time. And then I moved from there up to Outward 
in the Lake School in those days, so that the focus was on mountaineering type activities, very little kayaking. The instructors enjoyed whitewater kayaking, some great rivers up in the Lake District, so I, so I cut my teeth in whitewater kayaking there. And then I went out to Africa, I went out and worked for Outward in Lesotho, which at the time, being a, an independent country surrounded by South Africa, so at the time it was coming towards the end of apartheid in South Africa, and um, so we were able to run courses, interracial courses in Lesotho. So it's a very interesting time to be working in the outdoors with multiracial groups in a, in a setting which um, was dominated by apartheid South Africa. And so those courses were incredibly interesting to run, but also, again, formative for me in terms of understanding human, humanity and, and, and the potential for growth and awareness through outdoor experiences. And so we would walk in the, in the high Drakensberg or the Maluti Mountains in Lesotho, and then I worked for Outward Bound in South Africa for a bit, sort of running sort of mobile programs right at the very end of apartheid South Africa. And um, so that was, again, very interesting. And then moved up to Zimbabwe, which is the country of my, my birth, and felt like I was going home. And, I, and uh, I worked at Outward Bound on the eastern side of the country, early 1990s. So it was still an interesting time that the country was recovering from a, a really brutal civil war. So a lot of the, the courses were around peace and reconciliation, bringing people together, and again, personal development work through the outdoors. And so it was very powerful work, incredibly, incredibly powerful, incredibly rewarding, just a delight really to be working with people in, in an outdoor setting with, with, with incredible outcomes and, and processes. And then I moved back to the UK and returned to Outward Bound in the UK for a while, moved into a more managerial position, which uh, took me away from the coalface, so to speak, and I didn't really particularly enjoy that. I preferred to be working in the outdoors, but uh, it was great to actually mentor new instructors, and yeah, it was a, it was a great opportunity for me to um, explore what the outdoors meant to me and the, the power of the adventure experience uh, in terms of personal development and growth and awareness. And then how I would instill that awareness and, and excitement for that process with, with new intake instructors. Then I went back to Outbound in Zimbabwe. I, I returned there and this was now the mid-90s. And, uh, that was, uh, again, great work. And then I kind of kind of wandered in the wilderness for a bit uh, and then entered uh, the field of uh, mental health support, working alongside people who have severe and enduring mental health conditions, uh, particularly around helping them access opportunities, you know, for their own development and growth and, and well-being. So that, that was enjoyable work. And then I kind of just, uh, after that, I sort of drifted from small job to small job and did some really lovely work you know with with other organizations i trained at the time as a psychotherapist i began to work therapeutically in the outdoors with people so that was that was incredibly interesting i got involved with some very exciting programs peace and reconciliation program for the northern irish peace process so that so working with the various community groups from northern ireland again in the outdoors exploring peace and reconciliation and a very very powerful very powerful and challenging work you know it wasn't easy but it was very powerful work and again that uh, indomitable humanness shines through you know the, the, the qualities that make us human shine through when you're in an outdoor setting and the outdoors 
enhances that, I think. Yeah, and then my wife and I decided around about 2012 that we wanted to live differently, so we gave away everything, and, and we decided to become itinerant, really. We, we decided to just uh, live within our means on the, bo- on the boat with what we could carry on the boat, and um, so for seven years we lived on a, on a boat. Yeah, I did various jobs, <laughs> working in a boatyard, I worked as a boatman. It was, it was liberating, really, to step outside of a... A career pathway as such uh, and just enjoy living on the west coast of Scotland and that's how I, I then began to see opportunities for myself in terms of fulfilling you know my desire to have a big adventure for myself and uh, that's how the idea of paddling around Scotland uh, took shape I sort of had the room to to consider that really and the rest rest is history and I suppose the other thing that which kind of defined the latter part of my adult life so far has been my um my struggle with with clinical depression. So um, that first emerged in the late 1990s, the early 2000s, uh, sadly has has developed into what it is now for me. It's a a difficult illness to to live with, but I live with it and uh, it's kind of shaped how I view myself in the world and, and what I want to do with my life, which is, again, another big reason why I decided to take a year off so that, that certainly sounds like a rewarding life well lived uh, with some amazing experiences around the world and amazing experiences helping others find experiences of their own. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the mental illness. Uh, that had ex- you've experienced that later in life? Yes, I, 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 um, I remember being um, first diagnosed with depression in my early 30s, but it's only in the last, I, I would say, 10 to 15 years that it's it's really been, been a challenge to live with and uh, 2019 I I made a serious attempt to end my life and and that was a yes yeah, a seminal moment in my life of course I mean it's a huge huge experience to to um, encounter and it's shaped my thinking since then in terms of, of my relationship with with my mental health challenges but also um, around mental health in general, in terms of how we approach mental health as a, as a society, particularly here in Britain, but I think globally as well. And so I kind of made it my, I suppose mission's the wrong word. I've, I've been very keen to just be very open about my life with depression. And so uh, through my website and my writing and, and yeah, just 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 normalizing my language about around mental health in the hope that it helps people to normalize their language or and, and widen their understanding of what mental ill unwellness is yeah and how important it is, how important it is for us to understand you know what it is and and how we can relate with people who are struggling and and for those of us who are struggling how we can relate with those you know who may not understand what we're facing well, thank you very much for your advocacy, and thank you for bringing that to the forefront. It's certainly a topic that needs to be discussed uh, more and more openly, so uh, thank you for that. You mentioned that the 2019 event um, kind of shaped your your outlook. Um, tell us how that changed your outlook. I think, uh, see, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's funny, you know, I'm an advocate for, for speaking plainly about uh, such matters, but I, I suddenly find myself looking for the for the right words to use um i think here in the uk we 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 shy away from talking about suicide and i think 
you know, there's, there's a lot of shame attached to anybody who's attempted suicide, have attempted suicide, feel shamed by um, what we've done or what we think. And therefore, we don't talk about it. And we don't talk about um, how we feel and, and that we may be thinking of suicide. And what that then what then happens, of course, is that we bury bury that we hide it away, we shy away from it, and 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 sadly that leads then, you know, for folks to by not talking about it, to sometimes complete their suicide because they've just not found the means to express themselves or or seek help. Again, it's it's just by being open about my experience, and I and I don't talk generically. I talk very much about my experience I can't speak for anybody else so I am very open about the fact that uh, I did uh, make an attempt on my life and that there are times that uh, I think of suicide and I think of, of you know I have a strong desire for my suicide but it doesn't mean I you know I want to die it's 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 a, it's a very difficult subject to talk about it's um yeah, it's it's ones that find people find very difficult to hear and to listen to uh, and I think people find it difficult to, um, you know, to connect with people who may be thinking of suicide, you know, to ask that question, you know, maybe frightened to ask that question because of what they fear unlocking something that they cannot contain for themselves. So I've chosen to live my life now is, is to be very open and to speak plainly, but yeah, to understand that it, it is challenging for people to hear that, hear about this subject. Um, again, this journey was very much about celebrating life and about recognizing that there is a life to be lived and a fulfilling life to be lived. So despite the fact that I sometimes think of ending my life, it's also recognizing that things are never as bad as they seem and that uh, these, these feelings will pass, that they're never permanent. Well, thank you again for speaking, and, uh, and we appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you about, uh, about that as well as about paddling. So how has paddling helped you? Hugely. I mean, it can never be underestimated, really, for me personally. Funnily enough, I was asked the other day to just record a, a snippet for somebody who wants to include my words in a project. And I found it very difficult to talk about it while I was sitting self free to find the words that I wanted to use to express myself. And I think that's what kayaking does for me. It, it allows me to be myself. You know, I feel I can I have permission to to be who I really am. I connect very deeply with the ocean landscape. I think it's a place where, you know, I can feel comfortable and at home. And therefore, I'm comfortable and at home with myself. So despite the constant belittling thoughts that I have about myself, when I'm out there on the water, these these are these are diminished or they, they don't have the, they don't carry the weight that they might carry when I'm at home. Uh, or just ashore doing day-to-day -day tasks. So kayaking for me is, is that opportunity for peace and certainly for solitude. I really love being alone out, out on the sea and that deep connection with the natural world, that sense of belonging really with the natural world. So not seeing myself as separate from it, but seeing myself as, as completely uh, integral to the whole scene, I suppose. <laughs> And I just love everything else about it, the freedom of camping, and the freedom of choice, the freedom to problem solve in my own way, the freedom to take risks, the freedom to enjoy excitement. And yeah, so it, it's an all-encompassing pastime for me. And I suppose because I 
come from a background which is inherently about personal development and, and self-awareness, I think that experience is, is heightened from that perspective for me. And so, so I'm always I'm always enjoying kind of reflecting on what I've enjoyed or, or what experienced and and making meaning from those experiences and and discovering metaphors that are that will help me reconnect with those experiences in a way that is helpful. So you've certainly found the opportunity through Scotland 365 to fully immerse yourself in experiences and risk and excitement and that true connection uh, to the landscape um, over one year in Scotland. So tell us about Scotland 365 and uh, what was your inspiration to do Scotland again? Well, the inspiration really at the end of my 2015 trip in that I felt like I'd paddled around Scotland too quickly too hastily. I hadn't given myself time to explore some of the incredible coastline I was traversing in my kayak. You know, I was hell-bent on getting from A to B, as one does on a time-scheduled expedition. So I I wanted to reconnect with that journey around Scotland, but in a way that was free of any kind of schedule. And so when I departed, I literally didn't know whether I was going to turn left out of Tobermory Bay or turn right. Um, and it was all down to the wind direction and the, and the forecast on the day that uh, determined where I was going to head. And thereafter, that was very much the tenor of the journey. I kind of just, just went where I, I wanted to or whether the conditions determined. Um, and it was only sort of halfway through the journey that I realized that my sense of the journey was, was about was exploring the intricacies of Scotland's mainland coastline. I, I was really enjoying that. And so I chose not to head out to the Hebrides or I chose not to uh, include Orkney and Shetland in my plans. I kind of just decided to, to stay in the Isle of Rasse. But what I did was I paddled the intricacies of the coastline. So I didn't cut across the locks. I went into every lock, up to the head of every lock, not because it became a task, but because I was genuinely interested, I, my my curiosity was was set free. I think I think as adults we forget sometimes how to be curious. That that childish curiosity is suppressed sometimes. I think as we grow into adulthood, we we forget what it's like to just be curious about what's around the next corner and just be playful really and um, enjoy the moment. And I think that's what happened on this journey is that that sense of curiosity. And what was incredible was was literally paddling into every small bay and just realizing you know how huge scotland is and you know how much history it has and the number of incredible communities that exist around the coastline and and the wildlife of course and the huge wealth in terms of natural resources and and, and nature um, and the myriad islands and islets and the different scaries yeah so that's that's what ended up happening really along the north coast of Scotland and then down the east coast. We don't get get the sea locks as, as such on the east coast of Scotland, but we do get those big estuaries. So I paddled up as, as far as I wanted to up those estuaries. And then I cut across, there's a canal system that links the Firth of Forth on the east coast to the Firth of Clyde on the west coast. So I used that canal system to make my way back across to the west coast and then eventually back around up uh, to Tobermory on the Isle of Mull. So that was kind of like a another circumnavigation, of, but this time just mainly mainland Scotland. And it took me a year to do that. 
I suppose I tallied just over 3,000 miles on that. So it wasn't a huge distance if, if given the amount of time I was away. But the quality was incredible. You know, it was just a really very, very rich experience. Yeah, you weren't trying to set a record or anything like that. It was simply curiosity for, for the sake of curiosity. And you're so right that as we age, we forget that we can just do something for the sake of curiosity. Definitely. I, I could easily do another circumnavigations of Scotland, but you know, spend even more time visiting all the places that I saw but didn't. Uh, hang around long enough to to really explore yeah there's just there's just so much more still to to explore i have to say i get quite excited when i look at a map and look at the possibilities so tell us what it was like and some of the experiences that you had when you took away all of those constraints and just explored it was freedom pure and simple really it's like the weight of expectation was lifted from my shoulders and so i had permission it was like permission to to just be myself and find my own rhythm of existence. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, you know, as many travelers find, you know, you leave your home base and you take with you what you think you need. And then by the end of the first month, you realize what you can shed and what you're going to keep. And that's what exactly what happened on this journey. But it wasn't just the physical things, you know, in terms of I didn't really need a kettle, for example. I thought I'd need a kettle, you know, it fires more than I my ended up doing so I got rid of that but but it's it's um it's also about those expectations that you know those those rules that we write for ourselves in terms of particularly in sea kayaking by the middle of my journey I was I was liberated so for example you know I um I took with me uh, an almanac which I'd created for my 2015 journey so this this was an almanac of all the tidal gates and the tidal streams for certain areas and notes about, you know, sort of uh, navigation notes around the coastline of Scotland. And I had this and I thought, you know, that'd be great to refer to it. And I think I, this will shock many kayak listeners, I would think, but I think I only referred to tide, my tide times three or four times in this whole journey. I found myself living with the natural rhythm of the tidal cycle. And I didn't refer to my almanac once even through some of the tighter tidal gates, you know, or, or the headlands, even through the Pentland Firth, I didn't re refer to it. I just, I just trusted my ability as a kayaker to keep myself safe, to paddle well and, and to enjoy the, the coastline and, and the seascape and not to see sea kayaking as a pastime which needed certain rules to be fulfilled every day, you know, with paddle plans and float plans and rituals that need to be fulfilled you know I just I just took each day as it came and paddled each day as it happened and I and I got through and I came by and I came came through as a almost liberated of, of all that um, and realizing that I'm I am a natural kayaker I'm natural you know I exist well out there on the sea very comfortable with uh, my solitude out at sea very comfortable about choosing campsites and sleeping wild and existing as I did really, you know, with, with whatever happened and uh, whatever occurred. I mean, I, having said that, I did, of course, pay attention to forecasts and the weather, so I wouldn't risk myself by heading out to see when, you know, I, I would always know what the, the wind direction would be and, and what the strength of the wind would the wind was going to be so um you know i did pay attention to those aspects 
Oh, I think that that's fantastic. I mean, you were able to literally and figuratively go with the flow. And uh, by not worrying about some of those things that we tend to worry about otherwise, you were able to truly immerse yourself into the trip. And, uh, and that's fantastic. How did the yeah. journey? Yeah. How did the journey change throughout the trip? I think my confidence just grew, really. I mean, I, I knew I could undertake a journey of that nature. I didn't know how I would cope through the winter. That was that was an un, uncertain challenge. I'm somebody who grew up in Africa, so I'm not. Winter time isn't isn't the always the best time of year for me. But I found winter to actually be incredibly enjoyable. It was a it was a again a liberating experience because I would paddle during the daylight hours. I'd be off the water in in the depths of winter. I'd be off the water around about two two thirty in the afternoon. Have my my camp established and I'd be asleep by six o'clock in the evening because it was dark and then not waking until seven in the morning and 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 just finding myself immersing myself in the rhythm of the seasons yeah and as i paddled i became more and more confident and realized that i kind of placed on myself in terms of you know i must i must pay attention to the tides and and tidal flows and tidal gates etc etc and realizing that you know that i have the ability to meet any conditions head on and cope with them and make good decisions i think that's the other aspect is, is trusting myself to make sound decisions when faced with certain challenges and I would rest within my comfort zone. I was more and more confident about pushing myself to the, to the limits of my, my ability. And so I would take myself to sea in conditions that six months previously I, I, I would never have considered. And realizing that I actually enjoyed them, even though there were times when there was that frisson, frisson of, of nervousness or, or anxiety, but always coming through and feeling enhanced because of it. There was a day when I paddled into Thurso Bay, and uh, it was a three-meter Atlantic swell that day. Incredibly huge, huge seas, the biggest seas I've ever paddled in. And uh, they were reverberating off these huge cliffs that sort of line the coastline before entering Thurso Bay, and uh, incredible wild water. And I just loved it. It was absolutely, despite the you know the enormity of the of the seas and, and the conditions. And I think that's because by that stage of my journey, I was confident in my paddling. I was paddling a kayak that I was very, very comfortable with. It's a, a new design from the Isle of Man, uh, a Manta. Uh, I don't know if many people know of it. It's a really seaworthy kayak. Up until that point, I've been paddling a Nigel Dennis Explorer, which was, you know, my go-to expedition boat. And this kayak, you know, was for me was enhanced my game hugely uh, incredibly seaworthy boat particularly being loaded as she was with all my kit and again with with that and you know wearing the right clothing you know a really good dry suit and having really good paddles and it, it all came together to provide an increased sense of self-confidence that enabled me to really thoroughly enjoy the trip increasingly so as the, as the journey went on sounds amazingly liberating Tell us about some of the people experiences along the way. Oh, crikey! That's that. I think that you know, for any trip for me, it's 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 the it's the human to human interactions that are that really make a trip as well. I met so many incredible people, and it, it took me by surprise. Was was the the interest that this journey garnered? <laughs> 
uh, particularly for you know for, for for many people around the coastline of Scotland, but also uh, on the social media online world. I found myself just meeting so many interesting people and folks would come and meet me when I came ashore they'd be following my GPS tracker I had a a tracker which which gave my position every half hour so people would know where I was so they would find my campsite and they would bring me food and and drink I don't think I've had so many bottles of whiskey given to me (laughs) ever in my life there was one period when I had seven bottles of whiskey in my kayak you know it was a it was a challenge to pack my kayak at some stage because I, I had all these gifts to find a place for. It was just, just marvellous. If they couldn't find me, you know, if I was away from my tent exploring, which I often did, I'd come back to my tent and I'd find a, a gift of food or um, fresh fruit or a note or a card or an invitation to go to somebody's house for a shower and, and, and a meal. I remember one place I turned up, somebody saw me making camp and said I'm just I've just cooked supper supper's on the table Will you just come across and come and eat with us and you know she didn't even know about my journey you know she just just saw me and, and it was that gen- generosity underlying all that were the people who met me because of the my mental health journey and, and the mental health message and so I, I enjoyed some incredibly um, enlightening uh, powerful conversations with complete strangers about the issue of mental health and the subject of suicide and and the impact that that's had on their life. Yeah, so so incredibly powerful, powerful encounters as well, very enriching. Well, that's wonderful that you had the opportunity to connect with, uh, with so many people and that they had an opportunity to connect with you and learn from you as well. Yeah, some lifelong friends have been made. At any point, did you have more whiskey than water? <laughs> in Scotland are these um, uh, how little dwellings that uh, used to be houses at one stage but now uh, managed for anybody to use you know it's a shelter a very basic shelter so a couple of friends met me at the top end of the island of Rasse and um, we devoured a couple of bottles of whiskey um, so that was a <laughs> so that was that was a, a, a memorable evening right in the middle of winter as well so it was a yeah it was a I paddled the next day with a thick head. (laughs) (laughs) Now, along the way, you had a health scare. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, this was on the Isle of Skye. So I'd been invited to stay with some people I'd never met. They invited me to stay. It was initially just going to be for one night in their house in in a place called Harlosh on the shores of Loch Brackadale on on the west coast of Skye or southwest coast of Skye. And yeah, I, I arrived, and at the time I was suffering from gout, which um, was was incredibly painful. And so they kindly took me through the local local doctor in the nearest town, who happened to be following me on Twitter. So she knew of my journey, so she was able to see me straight away. I was I was um, given some anti-inflammatories, and I took these straight away. And my mouth was not responding as it should do while I was eating. And I was beginning to mumble my words and I dribble my food. And and, it, and uh, I said, I can't be having a stroke, can I? And they, we, we thought, no, it must be the, the side effects from the medication. Well, the next morning, I, 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 could, I couldn't speak. And my face was lopsided and, and I felt uh, unwell. And so I phoned. In the UK, we have what's called NHS Direct which is a, a telephone line, and I phoned them, and they, they told me not, not, not to move from where I was, and that uh, an ambulance would be with me straight away. And well, of course, 
I'm, I'm, I'm out in the back of beyond in, in on the Isle of Skye. So within an hour, an ambulance arrived and they were going to task a helicopter to fly me through to Inverness. But when they determined that the symptoms had occurred eight, well over eight hours beforehand, they then decided to drive me through. So it was a, a four-hour ambulance ride all the way through to Inverness where I was admitted to hospital with a suspected stroke. Yeah, I received treatment for that and it was only a week later that they, they determined that it was um, Bell's palsy. So thankfully it wasn't a stroke, but um, it was all very worrying at the time. I think I alarmed the medical personnel by insisting that, you know, once I'd been discharged from hospital, you know, I was, I was showing the signs of a lopsided face. Um, I could still use both my arms and, and as long as I could do that, I could still paddle. So, um, But I think they, they were a little bit concerned about that, even, even though I, even when they determined it was Bell's palsy, they advised me to go home for six months. I... Um, went back to Sky and picked up where I left off. And um, thank goodness I did. <laughs> now, were you able to stay connected to family during the trip? Yeah, I, my wife visited me sort of once every six weeks. So uh, she'd, she'd catch me at various points around the coastline. And we'd actually, it turned out to be really lovely because we ended up having uh, many holidays together. So we, we would meet in places that we hadn't been to together. We ended up having some lovely few days together every time we met up. And then, of course, you know, with the the way things are now with the Internet, uh, even in the wild west coast of Scotland, I was able to you know, stay in touch through the Internet with Karen every evening. So what's the biggest thing that you learned on the trip? It's a story of hope, really, that anything is possible. Um, despite whatever challenge I may face, there is hope that it will always be better. I think that that's the one huge thing for me personally. And there's so many other aspects, of course, you know, my personal attributes in terms of my tenacity, uh, my ability to things, even when things are tough, my ability to cope with um, uncertainty and and an awareness that I have courage, (laughs) you know, that I'm courageous to the aspects of humanity, you know, the humanness within the world and the kindness, which is what I experienced, not only through meeting people, but through the the warmth of of interactions I had from folks on the internet, from people who I will never, ever get to meet, but who were so generous in their words of support and admiration for me, which really carry a huge amount of weight for me whenever I received those. It is hope, I think, and I think it, it encompasses everything from hope for my health, yes, for the bigger bigger aspects of life as well. So this trip has opened quite a few doors for you. What's next? I'd like to continue to have adventures, not a year away, but uh, there's there's still the Hebrides to explore intimately, like like I like to, to say, uh, all the nooks and crannies, and of course Shetland and, and Orkney. I would like to become more vocal with regard to mental health awareness, you know, sort of continue to to speak more openly about that. But I'm also very keen to encourage folks to find adventure for the, for themselves in their own lives. So many people would say to me on my journey, I wish I could do what you were doing, or I really envy you, or you must be so courageous, you, you're so brave, um, I'd never do what you're doing. And my response is there's an adventure within all of us and one doesn't have to kayak around Scotland or you know do amazing things to have an adventure um, it, it, it's it's there within us 
So um, I'm at the moment thinking of setting up a charitable foundation which will offer bursaries uh, to folks who may be finding challenges in their life and who would like to, to embark on adventures. You know, I haven't formulated exactly how the charity will work and, and the nuts and bolts, but I've spoken to a few people about it and I think I've started the ball rolling. So hopefully something will emerge and I'm excited about that. Um, I think it, it, it's demystifying adventure, make it less exclusive. I'm very interested in slow adventure. That's what I particularly gain from this journey as well, is that uh, it's adventure with quality and purpose. You know, it's not about the, the quick fix, um, adrenaline, high impact type experience. It's that immersion into into a landscape, into a culture, into into nature, into wildness, and into yourself as well. I think allowing that experience to un unfold naturally is something that I, I would love to to introduce folks to. That's where I'm heading next, I think. That's wonderful that you're, uh, you've found a way to be able to help others find their own adventure. So congratulations, and we'll look forward to hearing more about that opportunity as it comes up and sharing that with listeners as well. Um, on a totally different note, tell us about your beachcombing creations. When I lived in a place called Cromarty, there was a beach there which had wonderful sea glass, you know, that, that glass that has been tumbled naturally in, in the surf, on the waves, in the, on the beaches. And uh, you get this beautiful patina and beautiful colours, particularly from the, the older glasses, you know, the, the ones from the 19th century and, and early 20th century. And I would turn those into wearable art, really, into pieces of jewellery. And then we moved aboard the boat, and of course I couldn't continue to do that. And then after my severe illness in 2019, we decided that living on the boat wasn't good for me. It wasn't a safe place for me to live. So we moved ashore, and I kind of picked it up again. Yeah, I don't work so much with glass anymore, but I, I just like seeing shells and bits of driftwood and just working out what, what I can turn them into. So I just, uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a, a small shop on my website and sell things through there. But it's it's lovely. I have a shed in the garden. It's my place to go. I just put some music on and sit in there. And I love learning a new skill. Uh, University of YouTube is incredible for <laughs> teaching myself new skills. And uh, So I might work with silver, uh, making things out of resin maybe, uh, and including you know other items that I find. Just being creative, it's uh, again, it all fits in with that, that sense of curiosity. And Well, you've done some beautiful work, and uh, so we'll encourage folks to go out and take Thank a look you. at your website, and we'll make sure we include links to your website and, uh, and where people can find that work. So you also mentioned one other thing during our time here, and that was your boat. Tell us a little bit about the boat. I still have my, my explorer, and uh, she's called Sawira, which is Zimbabwean word for lifelong friend. And the, the boat that I'm using at the moment is constructed by Big Pond Kayaks out on the Isle of Man, a chap called Stephen Marsh. I bought her on spec, really. I, you know, I just looked at her design online and, and really somehow, the, intuitively, I knew she would be a really nice boat uh, for a, a big expedition. So I paddled my explorer across to the Isle of Man from Scotland and I picked up my wonderful new boat, uh, a Manta, M-A-N-N-T-A, which is his expedition design, and then paddled her back. Yeah, she's just become my favorite ever kayak. I mean, I've paddled 
in my 40 odd years of kayaking, you know, paddled a number of different sea kayak designs. And this one, as an expedition boat, she's absolutely incredible. Through the middle of winter, with all my extra clothing and the extra food I was carrying, I still had room at the end of every packing session. You know, I still had room to put extra things in if I needed to. So she's incredibly capacious kayak, very well designed, very comfortable. He paid, paid a lot of attention to the ergonomics. So I never once during the year felt that I had to get up, go ashore and stretch my legs. But what really sets her apart for me is her seaworthiness. That adage of wearing the boat is it's totally true. I mean, I, I would forget that I kind of had a kayak beneath me. She she kind of held the sea. She, she made all the decisions about the sea. And I kind of just enjoyed making the decisions about where where to paddle into or what, you know, what to do, knowing that um, she would handle, you know, whatever conditions. And despite being a long, long kayak, yeah, I could turn her well, I could guide her well, I could pick up speed when I needed to, I could um, sit on her and just relax when I needed to as well. It's a really, really lovely boat. And, and, and I think this happens for me, I don't know if it's true for other paddlers, but when one build, builds an affinity with, with a kayak, or a piece of equipment, there becomes that sense of um, connection. So her name is Ruwendo, uh, which is again a Zimbabwe word, and that, that means journey, a figurative journey through life. Figuratively means a journey through life. That, that's that's her name. So you know, I never think of her other than Ruwendo. I keep her down on the shoreline here in Tobermory. He's there, ready for me to hop into and just head out for a few hours, or even half an hour in, in the Tobermory Bay just for a, a wee paddle. Well, Stephen uh, Marsh from Big Pond Kayaks, he was uh, one of the many who referred you as a future guest. So well, we'll make sure that we put links to Big Pond Kayaks in our show notes so folks can check those out as well. And Stephen's really done some amazing artistry with the decks on those boats. Um, and so where can listeners find you? Yes. If people look look up Life Afloat, which um, has become my <laughs> my moniker, I suppose, I have a website, lifeafloat.co.uk. That will take people into. I have a blog, and I do, I do a podcast, very, very not not as regularly, but I have my shop there as well, which you kindly mentioned. But I also do a lot on X, formerly Twitter. I have an Instagram account, Life Afloat again. I have a web Facebook page, which I, I'm, I have to admit I'm not very adept at using to its full potential, but I generally put up information there but i'm very open for people to contact me directly uh, they can get make contact through through my website uh, and i'm very open to paddle with folks you know we you know people are visiting the isle of mile and want some company or would like to paddle with me then you know i'm i'm really happy to meet people and paddle with them so that's the great thing about kayaking it's a very human sport really it's a great way of, of meeting and being with people it certainly is so we will make sure we put uh, links in the show notes to all of your uh, your uh, contact points so people can reach out to you and, and make that connection as well. And I do have one final question for you. It's a question, again, that we ask of all of our guests here on Paddling the Blue, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Um, I would love to hear you interview um, a, new, a new friend of mine um, who I had the pleasure of paddling with a couple of times on my journey. Uh, particularly on a lovely trip around Cape Wrath, uh, Alison French of Sea Kayaking Plockton. So she runs her own kayaking outfit, 
in a beautiful part of the world called Plockton on the west coast of Scotland. And I admire Alison hugely for her gentleness of spirit, really, and her love for kayaking and her eagerness to share her love with people new to kayaking and people who are more experienced. And uh, she's a wonderful coach. She's also a really great expedition kayak leader, you know, journey leader as well, taking people out to far off places like St Kilda and other incredible destinations. So be great to hear her being interviewed. Wonderful. Well, I will uh, connect with you offline. We'll get Allison's contact information and have her as a guest on the show. So, Nick, once again, thank you very much. Thank you for your openness. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for your message of hope. Uh, we appreciate all of that, and we will certainly look forward to seeing what's coming next for you. Thank you, John. I really, really appreciate you interviewing me, and uh, been been fantastic. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Congratulations to Nick on an amazing experience and on finding that hope and joy that he was seeking. Nick has many exciting things in the works, and we're going to look forward to hearing from Nick through the years as those plans unfold. He's recently started writing a book about this trip, and you can also get Nick's first book, titled Strong Winds Are Forecast, a solo 1,850-mile journey by sea kayak to every lifeboat station around Scotland, detailing his first circumnavigation of Scotland in support of the RNLI. By visiting the show notes for this episode at www.paddlingtheblue.com forward slash 101. Thanks again to our partners at Online Sea Kayaking for extending a special offer to you. Just visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com, take advantage of the great video programming from James and Simon, and other talented guests, including previous guests of Paddling the Blue. Just enter the code PTBPODCAST at checkout and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Des Keeney will join us for our next episode. Des was referred to us by Katrina Woods from episode number 89. And Des is a familiar name to many in the Irish paddling world and has some recent challenges of his own. We'll talk about Cape Horn and how his perseverance and some incredible technology are helping him overcome sight loss and helping him get on the water. Until next time, thanks as always for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.